Well, good morning and welcome one and all. Glad to see you here on this, the 10th day of July. Can you believe it's July 10th? If you're a parent of a kid that's going to camp, you are excited for today. You're probably more excited for tomorrow, right? No amens to that? Do you not know what tomorrow is, parents of campers? Well, tomorrow, our uh, campers are going to camp. They are leaving for an entire week up at Lake Ann uh, Camp. And so if you have students that are going uh, on our church van, I encourage you uh, to make sure they are here by 6.30 a.m. Uh, if you're here later than that, uh, you might as well just keep going up to camp so you can drop them off, all right? Because uh, uh, we're going to be heading out uh, shortly thereafter. So 6.30 a.m. tomorrow morning, please be here with your uh, campers that are going to camp. And we will get everything packed up and take off for camp. And uh, then you won't see them again until Saturday. So Saturday at, I believe it is around 1 o'clock is when we're hoping to return. So I demand that all parents are here by 1 o'clock to pick up your kid. Because the drivers and everybody will be ready to give them back to you at that point in time. So you must be here. We'll just leave that alone right there. All right? Be here. Please get your kid. Uh, one additional thing we'd like to encourage you uh, with as far as it relates to camp is uh, they are getting fuller faster. And it's been happening over the last couple of years, which is, is fabulous. Uh, but they were up to capacity by uh, winter, early spring. And uh, so we go week five every year. We want to encourage you to sign your kid up for camp for 2023 uh, within the first week that they get home, all right? Uh, you have up until, I think, the 6th of September to sign them up, register them with the camp, and get 2022's pricing and all of the early bird discounts, all right? Uh, so that way camp can be a, as cheap as possible for you, all right? And that's with the camp code that will give you $150 per camper uh, total cost per, per camper, all right? Uh, if you wait till after the 6th, then that 150 is going to go up. Uh, and if you wait until the last minute, it's going to be $180 per camper. And you may have to be on a waiting list to where they can't go to camp. Uh, and that's a bummer. We've had a number of students, maybe parents, you've experienced your kid being on a waiting list. Um, you know, in years gone by, March was fine. <laughs> now you really should have them signed up by November, all right, so I want to encourage you to do that. With that in mind, we will have those scholarship forms for you uh, to be able to fill out uh, on Saturday when they return. We'll have those to hand out. Uh, you can fill that out, uh, return that to myself, uh, Rachel Hager, the church office. We'll get you the registration code, and you'll be good to go. All right, uh, the only other thing as far as it relates to signing your kid up that soon and you're just not sure if they can go, uh, they have a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you sign them up and two months later they, you just know they can't go, they will refund anything you've paid, okay? So there is no, no worry about losing any dollars here whatsoever, okay? So I encourage you to get them signed up ASAP. Other than that, 
Uh, there's still a table back there with some various technology pieces uh, that are no longer needed here. would encourage you to rehome those, and uh, we'd be uh, happy for that. Other than that, we're grateful for your here. you are here. If you're visiting with us, please grab a Connect card in front of you, fill that out, turn it into the, the offering box back there, and uh, we'd love to know of your attendance. Pastor Mark's going to come and share one uh, further exciting piece of uh, news for you, and then we'll continue on with our service. Thank you. Yeah, exciting news. This uh, tonight at 6 p.m., uh, one of our former uh, members, former uh, interns, uh, Peter Hill will be ordained as a pastor at the church where he serves in uh, just outside of Grand Rapids. And so uh, we have uh, bought him a, a Bible uh, that has his uh, initials on it, and it's uh, kind of a, uh, a, a nicer Bible, maybe a preaching Bible. And a little gift from our church uh, to him, and we'll be presenting that to him tonight. Pastor Chris and I both will be at that service uh, tonight. So if you wanted to uh, encourage uh, him, and I don't know if we probably have his address uh, in the church office. We can get that to you if you'd like to send him a card, he and Allie, and just to encourage them. Uh, things are going very well for them there. at it's, uh, The church is called Ottawa Center Chapel. And uh, they, they love him very much. He is uh, doing good work. And uh, uh, we should be encouraged as a, a church family of uh, one of our own uh, being sent off to serve the Lord in a local church. And it uh, should give us great joy. And uh, I hope you feel encouragement for that uh, by that today. So uh, with that being said, would you stand with me as we hear our call to worship from Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 reads like this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with the glory and honor. And you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and birds of the heaven and fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth." Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm chapter 42. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Page 469, 469 in the Pew Bible, if you're using that this morning. <clears throat> Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1, reads as follows. As the deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, 
with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name, amen. Last week, Pastor Chris began our sermon series on managing emotions. And we all have them, don't we? We all have emotions. We have joy. We have sadness. We have gratitude. We have anxiety. We have contentment. We have discontentment. We have anger. And on and on we could go. In fact, emotions are a part of the image of God. Intellect, emotion, and will. The imago Dei that is stamped upon us is, in part, our emotions. We can't and should not ignore our emotions. We can't and should not be completely led by our emotions. Instead, we need to properly manage or deal with our emotions. Thankfully, God in his grace has provided scriptures to help us do just that. Donald Whitney has written in a book called Praying the Bible, God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the human heart or every sigh of the soul. Do I have that? Let's try that. Well, you have to trust me that that's what it says. (laughs) It was there. There it is. God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. Jack Collins writes this, that the Psalter, or the book of Psalms, is a song book of the people of God in their gathered worship. These songs cover a wide range of experiences and emotions and give God's people the words to express these emotions and to bring these experiences before God. At the same time, the Psalms do not simply express emotions. When sung in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. The emotions are therefore not a problem to be solved, but part of the raw material of now, the now fallen humanity that can be shaped to, to good and noble ends. The Psalms, as songs, act deeply on emotions for the good of God's people. It is not natural to trust God in hardship, and yet the Psalms provide a way of doing just that and enable the singer to trust better as a result of singing them, end quote. And so we turn our attention to Psalm 42. The Psalms, um, the book of Psalms as as a a whole, contain uh, different genres of of Psalms. 
topics or, or themes like thanksgiving, like praise, like wisdom. There are psalms about, about royalty, about the divinity and the, the kingship of Jesus. There are prophetic psalms, and there are also laments. There are said to be 42 individual laments and 16 communal or national laments. I love that the Bible speaks to the reality of life as we know it. Psalm 42 is a personal lament. It is a cry of desperation. Psalm 42, along with Psalm 43, may have at one point in time been one psalm. We see there three stanzas, if you will, and then three identical choruses that follow each one of those stanzas. For our time this morning, we will just look at the first of those verses and the chorus that follows. The psalmist here is lamenting his circumstances. In this first verse that we'll look at this morning, we, we see this longing for God. In the second stanza, which we won't look at today, he'll be remembering God. And then in chapter 43, we see him finally trusting in God. These psalms together record the, the ups and the downs of the author's spiritual life. The ups and the downs, which most of us, if not all of us, can relate. That is the nature of life. These words help us to see that the struggle is real, but also that victory is possible. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, describe this longing that the psalmist has. Look at it again, verse 1. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Here we get this illustration or this image of a deer panting for water. It's used to illustrate our soul's panting or our soul's longing or our soul's craving for God. Now, when we think about panting, this is not some small desire. It's not, I'm kind of thirsty. It is a yearning, a need, a requirement for, for water. Panting here, one Commentator says, it's desires in the state of exhaustion. So the, this, this deer panting for, for water is desperate. And that is the image that the, the psalmist is using for his longing for God, this desperation. Verse 2 goes further, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He, here this thirst or this desire is for God, but he, he, he uses a, a particular word here, the living God. And that's in contrast to, to false gods, to gods that are dead, to gods that are of no help. Here the psalmist is crying out to, thirsting for the living God. It's a description of, of desperation amidst spiritual dryness. As the deer needs water, so our souls need God. 
Because God is the source of our spiritual life. Psalm 63 verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Verse 2 continues, When shall I come and appear before God? Or said another way, when shall I come and see the face of God? See that in verse 4. It's apparently the case that the author was unable or prevented for whatever reason from going to the temple in Jerusalem to worship, to physically appear before God. And this absence left him downcast, which we'll see in verse 5 in just a moment. Verse 3, though, describes the condition further. My tears have been my food day and night. This, this describes a loss of appetite. He, he's not even eating. His tears are his food. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? In the second stanza, we find that this is, this is a taunt. Where is your God? The implication here is that, that God has abandoned him. This is questioning the presence and, and the faithfulness of God to his people. Maybe you can relate with that. Maybe not with the taunt, but with the idea. Have you ever been there? Whether it was someone taunting you or is your own interpretation of your experience, that where is God? Where is God? Maybe you only feel that way, but nevertheless you feel that way. There is a difference, however, between what we feel and what is real. I was watching a, a video on Tiger Woods just this week, and he was talking about his golf swing. And he said that sometimes I feel like I'm doing something, and I ask my coach, and he says, that's not what I'm doing. What I feel like I'm doing and what I'm actually doing are not always the same thing. And so it is here. Sometimes we feel as though God has left us. That is very different than God actually leaving you. Feeling and real are not always the same thing. Nevertheless, this psalmist is asking the question, being asked the question, where is your God? To which he responds in verse four, these things I remember. What, what, what is he going to hold on to as I pour out my soul? How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession. Sounds like a worship leader here, right? To the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. The psalmist here viewed his participation in, in corporate worship as, as joyful. He's holding on to these memories of, of going to this place and worshiping God in a corporate setting. What a beautiful picture. I wonder if we think of corporate worship in that way. I wonder if when we long for God, we long to, to, to be together with other believers, worshiping God as a body. Well, all of this longing then leads to verse 5, which serves as a chorus or a refrain. And the psalmist here, speaking to himself, says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Being cast down, or some of your Bibles might say downcast, means to, to melt or to sink, or to be brought low, or to depress. 
This has been called spiritual depression, this casting, being cast down, or spiritual dryness. So we could say it this way, why are you cast down or why are you depressed, oh my soul? Again, in this case, in the, the context in which we're reading the author, uh, we don't know all the reasons why he is cast down, but, but one of them seems to be that he is not physically in the place that he desires to be. He's not physically in the place of worship in the temple. That might not be the reason why you feel downcast. That might not be the reason that you have been brought low. That might not be the reason that you feel depression today. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, 19.4 million Americans have experienced at least one major depressive episode in their lives. That is 7.9% of the adult population in the United States occurring most prevalently, prevalently in those between 18 and 25 years of age. Additionally, around 33.7% of people who have a major depressive episode receive no treatment. So one in three receive no treatment. That means that two and two-thirds do. That's, that's good. Unfortunately, one-third does not. Now, maybe you can relate this morning <clears throat> with these feelings. Again, for whatever the reasons, and we'll get to that. You can relate with feelings of being downcast. You can relate with feeling, feeling low or as though, as one writer puts it, the darkness will not lift. Or again, what might be called depression. For a long time and for too long, many in the church have been unwilling to accept that depression affects Christians too. David Murray, in his little book called Christians Get Depressed Too, writes this, if it is true that Christians don't get depressed, it must mean either that Christians suffer from depression, that the, the Christian suffering from depression is not truly depression, or he's not a Christian. But if this notion is false, what Extra or unnecessary pain and guilt are we heaping upon an already darkened mind and broken heart? Just a cursory reading of the Bible and of church history, you'll see that godly men have dealt with depression. Just in the Bible alone, we see people like Elijah, who after this grand victory in his life, moves into this state of the, that we could most reasonably call depression. Or what about Job? Job who, who loathed his life. He, he didn't even want to, wish he was ever born. Or Jeremiah, the weeping prophets. Now, the examples of these men are not to say that we have to be depressed or that there isn't any hope but only to say that depression is real. And so as we hear this, this writer say, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Some of us this morning say, I could say that to myself. I, I could say those very same words to myself. Depression certainly is real. And if not managed, can lead to deeper distress, can lead to hopelessness, can lead to even harmful or, as we unfortunately know, deadly consequences. The causes for emotional condition, this emotional condition can range from what may seem minor to some of us 
to what is, by all accounts, overwhelming. It can range from what is real to what we feel again. Once again, David Murray writes, there are three simplistic approaches that we must avoid or should avoid when considering the cause of depression. First, that it's all physical. Second, that it's all spiritual. Or third, that it's all mental. As we think about causes, it would be reductionistic to, to suggest that one or only one of these, physical, mental, or spiritual, causes is the only cause for depression. It may be one, it may be two, it may be three. So we ought to tread carefully when we are making such, reaching such conclusions. But for some of us, our personality, our disposition, our temperament, the, the, the way that we are made makes us susceptible to certain emotional conditions. Some of us are more prone to depression. This is not a justification, but it can be part of an explanation. We also see that circumstances play a big role in our emotional stability. You think about your health, your relationships, family conflicts, difficult with finances, loss of job, grief, etc., etc. All of these can affect our emotional stability. There's shame. Shame over past sin and failure can be a real cause of depression. The reality of the brokenness of the world can lead us to despair as we look at the world and recognize that this is not how it should be. We might look at our own life and say, this wasn't how it was supposed to be. That can lead us to a bad place. For others, there, is, there are causes related to their actual brain, mental health, as our brains don't always necessarily work as they should. We live in a fallen world. There are three other causes that I would want to pay attention to this morning and draw your attention to as we consider this idea of depression. The first is unconfessed sin. Again, we're not suggesting this is the only cause, but it is a cause. Unconfessed sin may be a greater cause than we may often even know. We ought not to miss the spiritual in the physical. Our emotional and physical despair can be directly connected to our spiritual condition. How do we know that? If you turn back in your Bible just a few pages to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32, David is praying. And David is praying this prayer in response to having repented of his sin with Bathsheba. And he says this in verse 1, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There is a blessing when we are right with God. There is, there is something that, that happens when you and I are right with God that is only explained by being right with God. But David tells us what it's like to not be right with God. For when I kept silent, when I didn't repent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up 
as by the heat of summer. We see this condition, this condition of living with unconfessed sin. We, we ought not to miss the spiritual in the physical or the spiritual in the mental or the spiritual in the emotional. This is why though medication can be used, it may not be best to be used first. It ought not to be the first step. There are other matters at play. This is not to suggest that all the use of medicine is wrong. That is not what I'm saying at all. For some, it is necessary. And there is no condemnation here for that. There's a common grace that God has given in, the, in, in medication. And we thank God for it. But as with other emotional conditions, our spiritual life matters. There's a heart beneath our problems. And maybe for you, the cause of your distress, maybe for you, the cause of your depression is unresolved sin in your life. Maybe there are matters that you have yet to deal with. Maybe you have not repented of your sin. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we will confess, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is not to then suggest that, that, that life will be merry and you will not have any other problems. That's not what is being suggested by that text nor by this preacher. But that being in fellowship with God, the God who the scripture calls us, calls the God of all comfort, to have fellowship with that God as you navigate the ups and downs of life should not be underestimated. Secondly, we must understand the role of Satan in depression. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, there is no end to the ways in which the devil produces spiritual depression. The gospels are clear that, that Satan is a liar. Satan is a thief who wants to kill and to destroy. We see it from early on in the Bible that Satan comes as a serpent. And it's been said that when he comes as a serpent and that doesn't work, then he comes as a lion. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Satan would love nothing more than for the people of God to be weighed down in depression and view life as hopeless. Lloyd-Jones also adds that the ultimate cause for all spiritual depression is unbelief. The ultimate cause for our spiritual depression is that we're not believing God. We're not listening to the truth. We're listening to the lie of Satan. And when we do that, we will not know the peace of God or the joy of the Lord. So I ask you, who are you listening to? The reason, if a reason that we are in the condition that we are in is because of lies that we are listening to, who are you listening to? Back in chapter 42, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Notice that, that this is not a prayer to God. The psalmist is not praying to God. He is, he is talking to himself. He's referring to himself in the third person. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's speaking to himself, the, the, his soul, his being, his whole person. The soul is the seat of emotions. And here the psalmist is an example to us of, of preaching to ourselves, of taking ourselves in hand and telling ourselves the truth. Again, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who actually was an actual medical doctor, and then he became a pastor in London, described the importance of preaching to ourselves. He writes this, <clears throat> 
Have you realized that the most, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the morning, in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment here in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self or, or soul, listen for a moment. I will speak to you, end quotes. And what does he tell his soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. Now we are tempted to believe things that are categorically untrue. And when we are emotionally unstable, that's easier to do than at other times. And these lies can affect us. And therefore, we need to get into the habits, both daily, hourly, minute by minute, speaking truth to ourselves. Soul, what is going on here? Why are you cast down? Why do you feel this way, soul? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you disquieted? What's going on here? The psalmist then offers the answer to his own question. What's the cure for the condition he gives? Hope in God. The answer is hope. Now, hope in the Bible is not like the hope that you and I use. This is not, not we hope that the weather is better. We hope that the lions do better this, this year, right? We, we, we hope something. This is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is a confident expectation. It's an assurance, a trust, a reliance based on who God is. See, the, the object of the hope is what matters here. When we say we hope it does not rain, well, we, have, we have no basis for anything. If we say we're, we're putting our hope into God, we actually have a foundation Hope means it's as good as done because of who we are hoping in. Hope says because of who God is, because of what he has done, because of his promises, we can rightly have confidence in what is to come. Warren Wearsby writes this, unbelief causes us to look at God through our circumstances. And this creates hopelessness. When you look at God through your circumstances, say, good grief, what, what, what is my life coming to? But faith enables us to look at our circumstances through the reality of God. And this gives us hope. Depression leads to hopelessness. And the answer to that is to have hope. And the one who is hopeless says, well, that'd be nice. I'd like some hope along right now. I, I don't have it. Where do I get it? Hope in God. Now, for some of you this morning who either uh, might not be familiar with the Bible or maybe you've experienced depression and you hear this and you kind of think, that sounds like church talk to me. That sounds like a, a Christian platitude or a Christian cliche. That sounds like you're saying, here's two Bible verses, call me in the morning. 
right? Just hope, just hope in God and it'll all be okay. That is not what's being said here at all. That is not the minimization of the problem. That is not happening here. That's not what the author is doing here at all. Rather, the author is pressing in on the issue of where our hope is placed. Where was his hope placed? His hope was placed in being in a, a physical location in order that he would have joy. He wanted to be in the temple. And if he wasn't in the temple, he was downcast. Where, where's your hope being placed? Where's your hope being misplaced? If your hope is in your spouse or in your children or in your church or in your pastor or in your job or in a relationship, listen, those, those people, those things cannot hold the expectation. They cannot hold your dreams. They'll be crushed by that and you will be left in despair. The writer doesn't say just have hope. That's not what he says. He says hope in God. The source matters. What's the basis of the hope? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Why? My salvation and my God. Notice something here. The personal pronouns. We all like pronouns these days, right? Personal pronouns. My salvation and my God. Mine. That's what the psalmist clings on to. This personal relationship with God. My salvation and my God. God is our salvation. He has some of your Bibles say, say help or deliverance or rescue. Again, in the context, we might be thinking of his, his uh, rescue from his current condition. But as we read this this morning, and listen, we read the Bible from left to right. We know what happens in the New Testament. So when we read the Old Testament, we read it in the shadow of the cross. And so when we read of salvation, we know ultimately that that salvation is not a physical salvation from a physical problem. Ultimately, that salvation is the rescue from the deepest need you have. God is your salvation in fact, God sent his son to be just that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Acts 14, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is hope because there is a savior. There is hope and hope has a name. God is our help. God is our salvation. But if you do not know him as your salvation, then you cannot have hope this morning. Your life without God is hopeless. I'm not here to make you, you feel like your life is hopeless. I'm here to tell you that apart from Christ, it is hopeless. But there is hope. And you can have that hope. You can have that hope because Jesus Christ has come. And that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
That if you repent of your sins and believe the gospel, you will be saved. You will know this salvation and subsequently you will know this hope. God is my salvation and he is my God. Personally, my God. Here's, here's this, this Greek word or this Hebrew word, Elohim. He is our God. He is our salvation. The only way that we have salvation is because of God. And this God is our personal God. Now, this might seem obvious to you. This might seem like, well, of course, you just said hope in God. Now we're talking about God again. But consider who God is. Sometimes we, we, we fly over the word God as though we all just kind of know what that is. God is the creator and sustainer of all of life. This is the God that you have hope in. This God is Jehovah Jireh, according to Genesis chapter 22. What does that mean? The Lord provides. That's the God. He is eternal. He is all wise. He is all knowing. He is all present. He is all powerful. He is unchanging. He is always good. He is always faithful. And so when the psalmist says, hope in God, this is the one you're hoping in. This is not some mere general idea of some distant fairy God in the sky. This isn't just to make you feel better about life. This is a real, personal, spiritual being that you can know and who can give to you hope in life. This is our God. This is our hope. We're going there anyways. Lamentations chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I, was, I have a note to check the time, but I'm doing it anyways. Lamentations chapter 6, uh, chapter 3, verse, um, verses 22. And your Bible is page 688. We'll move this quickly. The writer is likely Jeremiah, although some dispute that. Jeremiah has seen the destruction of Jerusalem. Lots of badness. Lots of badness. He's not in a great condition. Not in a great state. In verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wandering. It's talking about the physical conditions. My, the wormwood and the gall. That's talking about bitterness. That's the in, internal. So we've got out, outside and inside. He, he's a mess. My soul is continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Now this is a different word than cast down in Psalm 42, but it's a, a similar idea. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Here's a man in a bad condition. And he says, these are the things I'm remembering that give me hope. And then we hear these very familiar words. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. What? Therefore, I will hope in him. Amen. This is the God. This is the God that the psalmist says, hope in God. The God whose steadfast love never ceases. The mercies never come to an end. The faithfulness that is great. This is the God. Warren Wearsby writes, this psalmist in chapter 42 would find his consolation and his peace only in the Lord. Not in nature, not in memories, not in nursing his grief. His hope had been shattered. His prayers were unanswered. 
His enemies were vocal. His feelings were more than he could handle. But God was still on the throne, end quote. And therefore, he had hope. And therefore, you can have hope. We are not dismissing the condition of depression this morning. We are not minimizing that it is a real experience for many. That is not at all what we're doing today. What we're saying is that there is hope. We're saying that in the midst of all of that, there is someone who cares for you and someone who's done something about it for you. And so you can take yourself in hand and say, why are you cast down, O my soul? What's going on with me right now? You can own it, what it is. And then speak to your soul. And maybe you don't believe it right now. (laughs) Maybe you don't believe it. But you tell yourself the truth anyways. Hope in God. Why? My salvation in my God. He is with you and he is for you. He is with you and he is for you. He is with you and he is for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? In the world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation, Jesus says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This victory gives us hope. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lord, there are those who sit here this morning who have experienced depression. They've experienced this dryness. They've experienced this melting, this sinking, this being brought low. They've experienced the dark night of the soul. They've experienced the times where the darkness will not lift. And Father, for our brothers and sisters, we pray for grace. We pray for help. And we pray for hope. And we can pray all those things with great confidence because of what your word offers. And that is help and hope. And so today, God, would you encourage their hearts? God, we certainly would pray that the darkness would lift. We certainly pray that the sinking would, would be, that those who sink would be lifted up. Father, in their condition, in this state, God, would you encourage them? Would your spirit draw near to them? Would you help them to know that they're not alone? Even when they feel alone, they're not alone. You have promised never to leave or forsake. And so we know we're not alone. Help them to know your presence. Help them to find their hope in God. Help us all to find our hope in God. For many of us, we've not experienced this yet not bend to the place where our hope is, is seemingly lost. Father, the day will come. If our hope isn't anything else, it will fail us. Father, help us to learn today the hope that holds is the hope in God. We pray for your help now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.